There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham and Bose, helping you stay connected. Connected at a time where human connection couldn't be more important. I hope you guys are doing well. Okay, next up on In The Pink, we have got a guy who you probably know as a medalist from the 2012 Olympic Games here in London and maybe from Strictly Come Dancing. There is so much to Anthony Agogo that you may not already know. This is a guy who's come through a huge amount in his life to achieve a lot, but with a huge amount of setbacks. His story is compelling, it's intriguing, it's inspiring. It's actually pretty sad at many points as well, but it's also uplifting. So I think you are going to enjoy this listen. Here he is, Anthony Agogo on In The Pink. Well, hello. How are you? Where are you, first and foremost? Because it looks a bit sunnier there than it is here. Yes, I'm in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, USA at the moment. And it's, um, yeah, it's quite a pleasant day. It's, it's chilly, but it's okay. And, uh, well, we'll get to why you're there soon. But first, I want to sort of throw your mind back uh, many years to... Well, actually, I want to start with when I think you first sort of came into the, the, the public eye on a sort of grand scale in this country, must have been 2012. Um, is that when you thought you really kind of broke through and became a household name? I think so, yeah. So London 2012, for me, I look back on life pre-Olympics and post-Olympics, and my, my pre-Olympic life has been very, very different to my post-Olympic life. Um, yeah, my life kind of changed massively, like in, in 2012. I often say that like I was 23 at the Olympics and prior to that, I was a boy. Prior to 2012, I was a boy. 2013 onwards, I was a man. And I went through some, yeah, some life-changing events in 2012. Some good, some bad. And um, yeah, that was kind of the year that kind of made me, me, I think. Or rather than made me, me, showed me what I was all about. Showed like, showed people that knew me, like just how, how tough I was. Because as I said, I went through some ups and downs, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next yeah. hour or so. And and is was it a realization for you personally, or the fact that you showed other people what you were made of that made the difference? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like it's the fact that I got to show other people just like what I was made of, and also like you know, and 
get an opportunity to, to, to remind myself of what I was all about. And I always knew I was tough, always knew I was a very dedicated and, and determined young man. And I think that set me out. So I'm no different to anybody. I'm no more talented, no more skillful. I'm just a young man that's worked his ass off to get to, 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 get to where he's got to. And um, yeah, like going through obstacles gives you an opportunity just to, to show yourself and the whole world, like how tough you are, how much you want it. And then, yeah, separates the men from the boys or women from the girls. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there is no such thing as an overnight success. So we cast our minds back even further. What was it like growing up, uh, son of a Nigerian father and an English mother in sleepy Suffolk? What, four sisters? Four sisters, yeah. So so my um, dad, you, I mean, I wouldn't, you won't hear many, if any, nice things said about him from me, from my mouth. Uh, we, we didn't get on, wasn't very nice, man. Wasn't really involved in my life or my sister's lives at all. Um, my mum, but contrary to that, my mum is my hero. She's like my le- legitimate hero in my life. She raised me and my four sisters on her own. She um, she clothed us, she fed us, she drove us around to all our sports clubs. She read some, and she worked full time as well. Um, I got a super, super human that person, um, which I'll come on to, which, which, which is why 2012 is made so much harder for me. But yeah, so growing up in a small town called Lowestoft, East Anglia, Lowestoft is the most easterly point in the UK, which is our little slogan. Uh, <laughs> what it really means is a pain in the ass to get to, <laughs> pain in the ass to get from. So when you're from there, you don't really tend to leave. Um, there's been very few success stories from the town because it's just it's so far away. And people there are very happy. And I'm not knocking it as well. I'm from as well. I was kind of like, like hardened and where I was bred. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, there's not a lot of opportunity there. You know, people don't come calling from around the world. People don't win medals at the Olympic Games. People don't tend to go off and do amazing things there. So uh, and I'm not saying I've done amazing things. I'm not, you know, I'm not as arrogant enough to say that. But um, yeah, it's, it's been nice. It's been nice for many reasons. But one of the reasons is I've come from the most humble of beginnings. Like, we were so poor growing up. Um, I come from a, ham- a family full of women, mum and four sisters. There's no male influence in my life at all. So where, where did your dad go and when did he go? Oh, he, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to divulge too. We've just met. We've, we've, we've just met recently. <laughs> Look at me straight in there. Yeah, maybe in, in a second or third podcast. But <laughs> dad, he, uh, yeah, he had, he had, uh, he had a, a couple of different lives that he led, put it that way. And um, yeah, so he just never, he was never around. He was never around. And we found out that, uh, you know, I was a teenager that he was, yeah, kind of living like a, double treble life and um yeah which is very difficult but like it's one of those ones where like don't get me wrong as a kid you know any kid wants to play football with their dad and have kick around in the park and i never had that but it was one of those ones where it's it's, it's hard to miss where it's just you can't miss what you never had like mm-hmm. i never had that growing up my mum was my mum and my dad and i got one of my i'm lucky one of my sisters is a lesbian, she's really good at football, and she taught me everything I needed to know on football pitch. Um, so I had a kind of had a brother <laughs> like in her, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, um, he just wasn't around. But like, what going through the difficulties? I think when you go through difficulties in life, you 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 grow much stronger. And as a family, we went through a real difficult time, and we're just a really like really really tight knit family, probably too. We support, we're so loyal, loyal to a fault sometimes. Um, 
But nobody, none of us will hear a bad word said about anybody, even if they are in the wrong. So, but I know we're a really, really tight knit family and I wouldn't change my upbringing for, for the world. Your, your mum's clearly done an incredible job. I tell you what, just in lockdown, trying to homeschool two kids and I've got a husband and I've got a job and I've got, you know, security. It's bloody hard. And I always think to myself, I don't know how single mums do it. I honestly don't. Or single dads to that, to that fact. I mean, fair play to her. But um, how did the local community um, respond to mixed heritage kids? You know, was there racism growing up? Yeah, like, yes, I said, like, difficult, like, so my dad, when he came over to Lowestoft from Nigeria, like, he was, like, this is, like, mid to late 70s, he was the first black person, like, people saw, because it wasn't London, it wasn't Leeds, it wasn't Birmingham, it wasn't multicultural at all, even now, like, you know, in, in, in the 21st century, ain't that multicultural, but back then, people would stop in the street and, and, and point and go, we've seen them on TV, there's <laughs> a real, there's a real life one. So it was difficult and growing up, my mum always said to me, she always said to me, like she she broke her back, as I mentioned about, she took us, she, she always said she never wanted us hanging around on street corners. We, could always, we, we couldn't do that. We had to be in sports clubs, we were doing homework. And, and luckily we were all really driven in, in, in our chosen kind of careers. And I was a really driven kid and I never wanted to like let her down. And she always said there's, there's two like mixed race families in, in, in Lowestoft town at the time. And she always said, if you get in trouble, and they say, it's, it's the black kid, it's the mixed race, it's the brown kid. It's obviously me. <laughs> I can't get away with it, you know? You get, so I was always like, oh, I can't get in trouble because it's obviously going to be me. Didn't stop me, but <laughs> I, I tried to think, um, yeah, don't get in trouble. But like, growing up, it was, it was difficult. There was some racism we, we encountered. Um, but, you know, what you do? You know, what, what, what do you do in, in that situation? I always... Just, um, but saying that, like I was supported quite well by the community. I, I think I was supported quite well because what I mentioned earlier, I mean, we, we cling to, in Lowestoft, we cling to uh, Terry Butcher, former England football captain. He wasn't really from Lowestoft. He went to high school in Lowestoft. I think he was born in like Singapore and then was in Suffolk for like maybe like three or four years. But we cling to him. Like, like oh, he's our boy. Yeah. yeah um the darkness the rock band the oh, dark yeah, yeah, yeah probably with a thing called love there from lower stop and and me <laughs> so i'm in quite good esteem so know, uh, hence you having a post box painted yeah. for you yeah I'm funny story that, by the way it's a funny you, story you know you've after. made it when you've got a post box after you yeah well that's so a post box so if you remember in 2012 if you won a gold medal um you've been in the games you've got your own gold post box i want a bronze and we'll, we'll delve into that i'm sure a bit later I want a bronze. And if you want a bronze, you didn't get a bronze one. And a couple of people, I didn't even know them, but they, they kind of knew my sister half, like half knew my sister. And they woke up in the, in the dead of night, dressed all in black, like cat burglars, with a, with a tin of bronze point paint, went to, <laughs> went to my local post box and painted their bronze. And, um, and, and then acted defiant. And then people were, people were like, like, most people were like, oh, let the lad have a post box. He's done really well. He's been through a difficult time. There were some people going, no, he doesn't deserve one. Take it down, tear it down, tear it down. And the um, the mayor of the town at the time, Nick, Nick something, he said, no, nah. he said, listen, he said, the boy's had it tough. He deserves a post box. And I was there for, for years, a couple of years. And then I went past recently. I don't go back much. But when I do go back, it's now red again. But the good thing is, the two girls that did it, 
Um, well, no, this isn't this is not a good thing. This is not good. This is a very bad thing. But one of the girls that did it, she was really ill. She was really unwell. And she ended up passing away a few months later. Well, a few weeks later, really like soon afterwards. And she was, wasn't very well at all, poor girl. And um, that was like, you know, her, her last... And she was a bit of a... Bit of a, from what I gather, from what I've heard, a bit of a, you know, anti... Establishment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The rebel. And, like it. Yeah, the rebel. But like, a, I'm not, I wasn't a bad person. It's a lovely girl. Um, yeah. That was her last like act of defiance. So that means, that means so much to me that she did that. Okay. And um, yeah, you know, God, God bless her soul. Yeah, my God. So um, obviously a, a, a tricky childhood, um, full of love, but obviously up against it as well. Um, and then you threw yourself into boxing. When did you kind of realise that this was a passage for you that would actually really help you and that you were good at? Um, well, I started when I was 12 and there's a million things I'm not good at, a million things I'm rubbish at. Um, thankfully, as a kid, I was always good at sport, um, any sport. I was that annoying kid in year six that would like beat, beat the teacher at badminton. Never touched a racket before, but I beat him. And, and you know, I was just, I was, I was good at stuff like that. And I was always clever at school. I was quite intelligent. So two things I was, I really cared about where it was like, they were, you know, tangible things. You could you know, see your progress. I was good at it. So I, I swam to like a national level as a kid. I played football for Norwich up until under 14. So I was, I was captain of my county. When I was 12, I started boxing and boxing gave me, boxing gave me something that nothing else ever has ever given me and probably will never give me like winning in football was great. Winning in swimming is great. When you win in boxing, oh my goodness. I mean, it's just, it just gave me something that I, I, I can't, don't think I'll ever get elsewhere. Um, can, you when I really, can you explain that feeling? Can you explain what it gave yeah, you? So, so even as a kid, so my first fight, I was 12 years old. I knocked the guy out in the second round. And for my entire life, I was, I was a bushious, angry little kid because Again, looking back now, my upbringing was very difficult and I didn't understand at the time because I was a preteen, but I was like angry and, and you know, and, I, and, I, and you know, you're always told you can't hit your sisters, you can't hit people, you can't hit. And now I'm going to a, into an activity where you don't just get, you, you get praised for hitting people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's great. And like all this anger and, and this stuff that I had like wrapped up inside me, I can now channel in a positive way. And rather than getting pulled out of the assembly for toll off for talking, I was now getting stood up in the assembly, stood to the front, and the whole class, my teachers, my, my teachers, my students were praising me and saying lovely things. And again, and but the winning thing, the, the, the true difference between football and, 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 and boxing or anything else is like, win, lose, or draw, like it's down to you. Like it's all down to you. Like I paid for a and the, the day, the, the weekend where our new boxing was for me was I was I just won for national championships. So I'm become the British champion for the second time. It, I just won the, the British championship for the, for the first time, my second national title. So how old champion. were you? I was uh, 14. Wow. 14. <clears throat> and I beat Stuart Reid in the final. Um, well, he was a Scottish champion, English champion, NABCs in Retford in Nottinghamshire. And I beat him in a really, really hard fight. And I felt like I was king in the world. Like national champion, 14 years old, a little kid from the arse end of nowhere. No one expects someone like me, come from my humble beginnings, to ever do anything in life. With my upbringing in a house full of women and to do something in the most macho sport of all, boxing, it was like, it was huge. 
And then as a Friday night, we go back to Lowestoft at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, at 12 noon, I had a, a Suffolk match. I was captain of my county against Hertfordshire or Bedfordshire. I can't remember which one. Um, in Ipswich. So we had to be there for 10 a.m. So I got home at 3, went to bed about 4, woke up about 7, quick shower, jumped in my car, down to Ipswich. And I was captain of my county. And the half-time, half we were 3-0 down. And I went into the, all the boys went into the change room and the manager, Mr. I won't say his name, he went off on all of us. I was a 14-year-old boy. F this, F this, you want to see this. You went ballistic, right? I'm sitting there and I had a face like thunder on me because we were losing 3-0 and I was playing okay. Like no one was playing well, but I was playing quite good. But I was, I was the captain, I was getting it from everyone, from, from the manager, sorry. And that pissed me off because we went a goal down because Grant for left back. He was playing with his drawstring on the corner, on the corner post. A corner, Gizzy got up. He wasn't playing. He was on the, and we, we're losing because of him. And it's me running. My lungs are going to burst. I'm trying hard to, to win the match. And then I came out and I was really pissed off. My uncle, so my cousin Danny, who played for, for the team right back. My uncle um, came out and I was really wound up. He said, what's the matter? I said, oh, he's just, he just called me a C word or whatever. And then I played the second half. The final score was 4-1. I scored our goal. Uh, we played better, but obviously we lost. And during the second half, Uncle Mark, my Uncle Mark, told the manager why I was having a bit of an off day, why I had a black eye, my neck was a bit bruised and sore, because the night before, I'd become British champion. And I had like two hours sleep. And then after the match, the manager apologised to me, because I kept my boxing to myself. I didn't kind of broad, I didn't like broadcast what I did. It was, it was me. And uh, me apologised, said, look, I'm really sorry. I had no idea. Congratulations. But that was a day and I thought, um, the night before, I was king of the world. And now I'm being shouted at by a geography teacher who on a weekend masquerades as a football manager. <laughs> and it was like, I don't enjoy this. And, I, 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 and a win, lose, a joy. It's down to you as a mm. boxer. If you, if you win, you go over celebration, which is great. I haven't got a share of anybody. And if you lose... <laughs> If you lose, it's because you haven't worked hard enough or you need to get better and it's down to you. So I like the, uh, you know, I like, I like what that does to you. you know, like the pressure of the moment mm. as well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, I can totally see that. And um, what did your mum think about your boxing? <laughs> so when I first started, I was, as I said, I was swimming, I was playing football, I was doing everything. I was um, a busy kid. I wasn't allowed to hang on street corners. And I came home. Oh, so she didn't know at first. I didn't want to tell her because she would say, I'm a, I'm a little boy. I'm a, I'm a one like man in her life. I'm a little soldier. So I couldn't, she wouldn't want me to box. So I've come home and then I would say, oh, mom, I'm going to Deacon's house. But my friend Adam's house, going to Aaron's house tonight. And then in my head, it was like six months that I boxed for without realising. In reality, probably three sessions, <laughs> probably <laughs> half a week. And then she busted me. She caught me because I'd come home, I'd come home with, like, with blood on my T-shirt and I'd say, oh, mama, I fell off. But that's what I did once. I was following someone, I bashed their nose up and they nosebleeded on my T-shirt and my vest. I remember I used to bike home from the gym and I was biking. And what I did, I, I, I fell off. I fell off my bike. I got my elbow on the gravel, scraped my elbow on the gravel, got my T-shirt and covered it up. So the blood was like from the elbow, not, not the nosebleed. And then, so for, for, for a few sessions, I go out of it, but then I got busted because I put on my smelly clothes, my sweaty clothes in the wash, in the wash basket with my gum shield sitting in the pocket. Then she was like, right, two and two together. You can't keep falling off your bike, you know? 
and the gum shield, you obviously go boxing. And she banned me. And I didn't go for like a week and I was miserable. I was miserable and I was pissed off moody. And then she saw how much I loved doing it. And I said, mum, just come down to the gym. Because in her head, um, she was like, oh, boxing is full of bad people. Like this, that, that. It's like, you know, that's a, so, so unfortunately, that's a stereotype. You know, none of them are very intelligent or thick. They, they all fight. And then she came down to the, to the gym one day. I, I introduced her to the, to the coaches. And she saw that it was like, it was way more than just a boxing gym. It was a community. You know, it was a place where, you know, boys and girls, we were one of the first clubs in the country to allow girls to come in and train, um, found the purpose. And, and, and we're doing something like positive for their lives and constructive. And she so much I loved it. And she said to me, you can carry on boxing, but you, you, you can't, you, you, you can't, well, so she didn't say this, but this is what we say, this is what I say. So you can't toss it off. Toss it off means like, you know, you can't, if you're gonna train, you gotta give it your all all the time. So for example, that's, that's a boxing terminology. If you're, in the, if you're in the gym and you're not really training and you're looking around, and you only train when the coach is watching you, you're tossing off. So basically she said to me, she didn't say this because she's not, she's not a 50 year old man. <laughs> she didn't say, she said, if you're gonna do it, give it your all. And like, you know, there's no, no cheating, no taking easy option. And, and I did, and I, and I did. Yeah, she sounds a hell of a woman. I want to meet her. The world continues to evolve and the new norm isn't fully clear yet. But what does remain constant is the core message from our friends at Bose. Stay calm, stay centred and stay connected. Communication is key in everything we do and goes a long way to nurturing both ourselves and our relationships with others. So continue to talk about what matters to you. And don't be afraid to block out unhelpful noise or indeed to embrace silence because doing both can be great. Some of the ways we work will have changed forever. Embrace that. Make those new ways work for you. Shape the new norm to suit you. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Okay, so let's 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 take it forward now to 2012 again. And then obviously after winning the bronze at the Olympics, you then, you turn professional what, a year later? Well, yeah, so actually, um, so we rewind a little bit. So my Olympic, um, me getting to the Olympic Games was a massive ordeal. So I went through a real tough qualifying process where yeah. I was on the cusp of qualifying. I dislocated my right shoulder for the second time in my life at what, that was before. Years. That was before the Olympics. Because yeah. I thought yeah, the Olympics so came afterwards. No, I've done. I've been. I've been really, really, really unfortunate. So I did my first one. When I was 18 years old. I missed 19. I missed the Beijing Olympics because they were dislocated shoulder. Um, I then got kicked off the Great Britain team because the coach said to me, the head director said to me, "You're no good to me injured." So he booted me off the squad. Right, even though I was the junior world champion, junior Olympic champion, national champion. Um, so I was off the squad. I was working in a bar for two years, pulling pints for a fiver an hour just to have money to pay for physio. I got back on the GB squad two years later, 2010. I had a real good year in 2010 where I ended up being the world champion, the world number one. Had a cracking year. 2011, Olympic qualifying year. Um, anybody would have said I was going to go to the Europeans, win the gold medal, go to the world, which also be Olympic qualifier, win the gold medal, qualify, go to the Olympic Games, win the gold medal, and, and my life would have been the only thing I ever wanted in my life to achieve 
was Olympic gold medal. I didn't want to turn pro. I didn't. I wasn't fast. Just, for me, the Olympics are everything. I mean, um, as you say, even though it's amateur, even though you couldn't, you know, at that stage, make a, a living out of it. Yeah, like I, I've always wanted to do more than, than than just be a boxer. Like, and listen, it's hard to say because it didn't happen. But had I went to the Olympic Games, won a gold medal, and then there's Don King saying here is ten million pounds to turn pro. I mean, you're going to be, it's going to be very hard to say no to that. Mm. But I wasn't fussed. Like, I wanted the gold medal. I'm, I'm tingling just talking about it. I wanted to win my gold. So I, call it my, I call it my gold medal still, eight years on. It was my gold medal. It should have been mine. Um, I'm not bitter at all, but it should have been my gold medal. And I wasn't fussed about turning pro. I wanted to win the gold medal Olympic Games and then, I don't know, become an actor. Or do something else in my life. But I'd have, I'd have achieved... Like the Olympic Games, gold medal in London, in my own country, my Union Jack going up, my family and friends in arena, doesn't get better than that. Then that feeling there, that's worth all the money in the world you could earn as a professional boxer to me. So I wasn't fussed about the, the razzmatazz and the showbiz. I wanted the, the purity of winning the gold medal. Anyway, so in 2011, Olympic qualifying year in the Europeans, my first fight, I dislocated my right shoulder and it was hanging on by a thread and, and it was a nightmare. Ended up requiring surgery on it. I turned a, a 10 month rehab process into four months. Um, finally got back to the, for the second and final qualifier. I, I overturned the six point deficit going into the last round to qualify. In the previous four year Olympic cycle, not one person in the elite international boxing had ever turned over a three point deficit going into the last round. I turned out six points. I qualified. I was finally there after the hardest 18 months of my life from doing my shoulder to finally getting there. I was finally there. And six weeks before the Olympic Games, six weeks, I was up in Sheffield because the GB team, we trained in Sheffield together. It was a Tuesday morning. My sister Joanne called me at 20 past eight in the morning. She went, Anthony, get home now. Um, I said, well, she was crying her eyes out, hyperventilating. She said, get home now. I said, why? She went, mom, she's about to die. Fuck. And basically, my mum had suffered a brain aneurysm, a really bad subarachnoid bleed in the back of her brain, left side. And she was, I jumped in my car, I bombed down to Lowestoft, uh, went to the hospital, and she was there, strung up. The strongest, most, the strongest person I knew in my life was lying there like a helpless child in a hospital bed on a life support machine. And the doctor said to me that there's nothing more that can be done for her, and they're going to turn the machine off. And I had to. And they, they, I think as a, as a junior doctor, and as a throwaway comment, he said, um, nothing else can be done now. She, he explained the bleed in the back of the brain. The only place that could do anything is Adambrooks in Cambridge. Well, we've checked there. There's no beds available. But even so, if we sent her there, they couldn't do anything because whatever. And I very politely for three times said, please, can you send us to Adambrooks? And if they say nothing can be done, then we know nothing can be done. And then he said, no. So the fourth time, I kind of lost my rag a little bit. And he's gone off. Could have been for a minute. Could have been for 40. I don't know. He's on a bit of a whirlwind. He's come back and he said to me, he's been on the phone to Adam, but a bed has just opened up. So whether it was there all along or, or not, I don't know. Whether somebody's died in the last half an hour, I don't know. But a bed has opened up available. Was, was available. And he said to her, please don't expect too much because it's, it's really, really bad. So they blew her to the hospital, Adam Brooks, operated on her straight away on her brain. And I was there for the next month. And she having surgeries like seemingly every day to keep her alive. And the prognosis was not good at all. I was there for a month. 
didn't do a thing, didn't do a press up, didn't do a punch, didn't go for a jog. And then I went back to Shepherd and my sister said to me, she went, look, mum's going to get better. Uh, she's going to get better. Now, none of us thought she would at this point. And we were told by the doctor, she probably, she, she probably wasn't going to. Mum's going to get better. And when she does, she's going to feel awful knowing that you didn't even win the games because of her. So they guilt tripped me. And I, so I went back to Sheffield. I had one week of training left. My, I had one sparring session left. And we had a family and friends day. And of course, all my family were at the hospital. They were home looking after their children. And I was by myself. And I was sparring that called Fred Evans, who's a really good boxer. I sparred Fred. The, and my phone was in my pocket because I was my mum's next of kin. So if they called somebody, they called me. And I had, my phone was always with me. I thrown a sloppy jab. First punch of friend of the month. He slips out. Boom. Body shot and he breaks my rib. And I somehow get through the spa and I'm sitting there and I'm sweating, I'm sweating a lot. I used to sweat a lot when I train and the sweat's masqueraded my tears. So I was crying my eyes out. My eyes were all red. My shoulders were on doing the, 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 the bobbing up and down thing. I had a broken rib. My shoulder was still dislocated. wasn't better. It would come out again uh, in two years later in a fight. My kiddies were buggered. I had, I had four operations on my kidneys the following two years. I could barely walk from here. I could barely walk. My kidneys were so sore. And worst of all, I thought my mom's going to die. I'm never going to see her again. And that's my build-up to Olympic Games. So when I say about, you no, know, I joke about being bitter. You know, it's, it's a long time has gone past now and I'm, I'm not bitter. That's the wrong use of the word. But I went there. I had the hardest draw imaginable. I boxed the first day. The opening ceremonies on a Friday night. I didn't go to it, so I boxed Saturday lunchtime. I boxed the Ukrainian in the next fight with the world champion. He hadn't lost in two years. He had seven fights at the world championships. He knocked out six. Unbelievable. Nobody gave me a chance beating him. I beat him in the most thrilling fight in the Olympic Games history. Um, the only fight ever to go to a double count back, which has never happened before the Olympics, before or since. Um, I beat the German, and then I lost the Brazilian in a semi-final and the hard thing, the, what was the hardest thing to take was the Brazilian was the worst person I fought at the Olympics. The Dominican, Ukrainian and German had all beaten him that Olympic year. But he beat me because by the time I got to the semi-final, I, was, I had nothing left. Emotionally, my mum was in hospital still. I was sneaking out of the village at night time, going to my car, drive to Cambridge to, to hold her hand for 20 minutes. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was I was just spent. Like physically, emotionally, I was exhausted. And he beat me. Not because he was better than me, because you know he didn't. He 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 had two easy fights compared to my three hard fights. He trained for the whole, you know, camp for it. I'd been in and out. I'd been out of training for six for four weeks. It was a nightmare. Um, but so with that being said, I mentioned at the top of the conversation, like when you go through tough times in life, it gives you the opportunity to show yourself and show everyone else just how tough you are. And for me, my win was. My woman was even going to London because everything about me wanted to stay with her, my mum, my family, and be a good son to her and a good brother to my sisters. But I ripped myself away from that to go and fight um, in, in the Olympic Games. And it had gone from being the biggest, most important thing in my life to something I didn't want to do anymore. So really, really odd. And that's why I say, I mean, 2012 changed me from boy to man because going through like being like the man of the house and kind of holding the, the family together while still fighting um in the Olympics and realizing the dream for myself it was just it was yeah it was it was a tough 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 time unbelievable I mean you really 
deserved the fairy tale ending. I mean, that would have been like the, the, the gold round your neck would have been the stuff of movies, but you've got to, you've got to step back and take, and I'm, hopefully you will, you'll write a book and you'll, when you retire, when you're like, you know, 70, you might actually say bloody hell to get a medal at my home Olympic games was seriously impressive. Yeah. Again, you must feel like that. You must be able to yeah. reflect. So for for years I I could not tell you where my medal was. Couldn't tell you. I didn't. I I was really bitter. I, I was upset and bitter. I'm very honest about this, and and it's not a good way. And the person who was hurting the most was me. But I was really jealous that Nicola Adams and Lou Campbell and Annie Joshua, they all won gold medals, and I didn't because mm. I was as good as them. I was better than them. I went. They didn't go through my 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 journey. Like and I, I firmly believe that nobody. Like someone said, that was the hardest four Olympic medal ever won uh, by a British athlete, and I and obviously I went through it, so I know. But take everything into account, not yeah. just the previous six weeks, but the previous six years, getting off the squad, back on the squad, injuries, back surgery, like, fight, like yeah, just it was it was just it was a tough time. But I really I couldn't believe it because even though I went through what I went through, I always I still I still refer to the gold medal as my gold medal. It should have been mine. So. Yeah, I mean, I, even though I went through what I went through, I still, I thought I was going to get the Hollywood ending. I generally, I'd seen that enough. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sports movies and documentaries, read enough books, think that's me on that podium. And I had, I had it, I had the tears. I, I could tell you, I, I'd seen that moment so many times. I could have told you the amount of tears that came out of each eye when the anthem played in the flag. But I, I saw it so clearly. And the fact it didn't happen, and some Japanese guy was on the middle podium, and not me, who any given day, other than that, I'd have spanked him, like, you know. It was, just, it was difficult, but I, I was bitter for a while. But ultimately, I learned after a while of being bitter and sad and jealous that the only person that affects in life is you. You know, Joshua doesn't, Andy Joshua doesn't care if I'm, if I'm jealous of him. Like, he's living his life, which is great. And, and just to make it clear, like, I, I was nothing. Luke Campbell was my roommate on the GB squad. I love him to bits. Like, so happy that he won a gold medal. Joshua the same. Nicola the same. First 
female, I'm a feminist, black female to win a gold medal. Amazing. I could not be prouder. Joshua had a tough upbringing, raised in Nigeria, kind of weird. So happy for him. He set his life up now. Happy for them, but I wanted it as well. And the fact I wasn't pissed me off because I deserved it more than him, in my opinion. But I learned along the way that when you're bitter and angry and jealous, the only person that upsets is you. Yeah. And I had to let it go. And I'm, oh, I'm i tell you what, it's, it's really honest of you to, to admit all of that. And it takes a big person to say that. What was the turning point? When could you start sort of, because as you say, the jealousy does weigh you down. It's, it's counterproductive for your own progress in life. But when did you kind of have that realization? When did the penny drop that things had to change? Um, I, I knew I just couldn't. I, I knew that it wasn't good for me, but mm. like knowing something and doing something are very different things. Yeah. But people might think, like I said a minute ago, that the Olympic gold, Olympic medal was gold medal was my only was my was my my Mount Olympus. And why did I turn pro? Because what I'd done, I'd wrapped my mum's illness. Because even after Olympic Games, like we thought she was going to die. I came back from Olympic Games, and then I was doing all the other stuff, like which I had to do and going to Buckingham Palace. I'd jump, rather than going to the after parties, I was back in my car driving to Cambridge and I was being there for the next surgery and the next surgery. Mm. You know, and I was one texting my sisters, oh, mum's out of surgery, she's okay. And she's, you know, she's, she squeezed my hand today. Imagine that, you know, uh, mum, you know, I've got a middle around my neck and I should be out there in Buckingham Palace kicking it back with David Beckham at Wimbledon. And I'm in, I'm in Allenbrook's Women Head Trauma Centre, texting my sisters, she squeezed my hand today. This is a good thing, you know. It, it, but um, listen, you know, it's life. So I turned pro because what I'd done, I'd wrapped the Olympics and my mum's illness together. Like they were as one, and I just emotionally couldn't go through four more years on the Great Britain squad, going to Luxembourg and going to these rubbishy little countries and boxing the high school gyms um, to go through four years of it. And then have all those memories come back. I just, I just couldn't do it. So I, I need to cut that umbilical cord. I turn, I'm very happy to say my mum survived and she's made an, an amazing recovery and she's still with us today, which I'm so, so proud of. Um, but yeah, so I moved forwards and I, and I turned um, I turned pro and I thought, well, what's now this? And it drove me on. Like the bitterness that I felt in my head, I was only going to go when I win my world title. When I become Britain's greatest ever middleweight boxer, which I was going to become, I was adamant I was going to become that that boxer. Um, that will replace the bitterness that I experience now. And then I, I embarked on that journey. Yeah. And however painful the Olympics were, my pro career would go on to become just as painful and, and cruel and um, and difficult for me to to experience. We'll talk about that in a second. Just tell me how long was your mum's recovery? Uh, it's, it's, well, she, she, so my mum, I'm very proud of this. I, I said this in my wedding speech uh, when I got married. I said, um, so my mum, she came out of hospital and she had to learn to do everything again. Make a cup of tea, walk again, write again. She, this is really funny. I think it's funny because it, it means you've got to laugh sometimes. I was there in the hospital. Then the occupational therapist came around and said, she said, Teresa, she said, we're going to write today. Now she's alive and she's, you know, she's in hospital bed and able to talk and stuff. Now I've got to learn to write again. And she put, she put a pad down in front of her and gave her a pen. She said, can you write your name? And I was so proud. I had tears streaming on my face. And she held the pen. She held the pen like this. 
like she's gonna stab somebody, right? And then she um and she drew her name like this, right? And then her name's Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A. The E was back to front, the T was across, the R was like a line, the S was like a circle. But I was so proud of her, the fact that a month before we thought she was gonna die, not able to write her name. Anyway, then she had to learn to like make a cup of tea. She had to learn how to kind of she struggled kind of getting in and out of cars. Really, but she struggled because she went and she thought she was going to bang her head. She couldn't, like, she got so much anxiety just to kind of get in the car. She had to learn to do everything again. Anyway, so one year later, my mum, for charity, um, she climbed Ben Nevis, the highest mountain in the UK. She climbed up. So in a year, she learned to do all that again and some, and do something that, when I'm a young, fit man, I can't be asked, <laughs> I can't be asked to climb Ben Nevis. And she did that. So, um, yeah, we'll, um, you know, a, Real, real strong human being. Wow. Wow. Can see where you get it from. That's amazing. Uh, right. Okay. Let's talk about the professional career then. And I do so with a heavy heart because I know what's coming. Um, you obviously didn't, you caught the eye of a lot of people. Um, you're the, the poster boy, you know, of, of boxing and um, subway adverts and all sorts. Obviously you did strictly come dancing and a um, bit of a heartthrob. Uh, oh, uh, stop it. Like you, you, you um, but, but <laughs> I mean, we, we'll talk. We'll talk about the individual injuries as well. But let's talk about that blow in 2016. Is it as simple as one punch fractured your eye socket and that was it? I mean, because I know that the papers probably sensationalised it to an extent. Was it as simple as that? Uh, no, no, not at all. The opposite. The opposite. Like. I'd, like, no, I'd love, I would love, honestly, Natalie, I'd love nothing more now to tell the whole world everything. And I can't because I will get in trouble legally. Um, I mentioned how, how cruel this is. The most cruelest thing in the world. A misdiagnosis led to, my, led to me oh. boxing that night. Never should have been anywhere near boxing ring. Never. And this can all be backed up. And this can, everything. Like, my story sounds unbelievable because it sounds unbelievable. Like, I'll tell people sometimes and I'll go, yeah, gone in. And I'm like, everything can be backed up and proved with medical reports and records and stuff. And essentially, I've got to be very, very careful now with what I say so I can't get myself in trouble. Um, I, I fractured my eye socket in a sparring session. I have no idea when. Or, no, I fractured my eye socket at some point. At some point in my life, I fractured my orbital bone in there, in there, in my left eye. Um, I don't know when, I don't know where. Normally, when you fracture your eye socket, it blows up big and it's, it's an obvious fracture. With mine, was a, maybe it happened over, it happened over a long period of time. And one punch one day just kind of set it off and finished it off. I have no idea when that was. I started getting double vision, blurry vision. My left eye wasn't moving properly. Went to a very famous hospital, an eye hospital, and they told me to carry on boxing because this fracture has been there for at least two years. Because they checked, and, um, they checked as a box, you get head scan done every year to uh, make sure your brain is not getting like deformed obviously with all the punches. And I saw this MRI scan, which is, you, you can't, you do, you, nobody, I'm getting too passionate, look, calm down. Um, yep. Basically they checked the scan yep. in 2014. The, the fracture was there in my eye. Um, they said to me, this fracture has been there for at least two years. So you fractured, we, we can't do anything to it because it's already healed. It's been there for two years. So you might as well carry on boxing because it's not going to get any worse. And, that, and I'm the most you know, resolute, hard-headed, determined person in the world. And if you said to me, 
if the if a top 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 ophthalmologist says to me the UR is not going any worse, that's good enough for me. I'm going to box. The worst information I ever could have been given. I boxed three weeks later. Before the fight, I had one fracture in my eye socket. After the fight, I had eight fractures in my eye socket. Also going poof, just exploded. Um, and then and then what the eye socket? The main job of the eye socket is to protect the eyeball and the soft tissues around it. Now, if it's fractured and shattered, it's not doing it. So every time, every time I was getting punched in the eye, my eye was getting damaged, the nerve was getting damaged, the muscles were getting damaged. And, um, you know, I was determined to carry on fighting. It happened in, it was already happened from the, from the very beginning. Obviously so the any, any idea how long ago the initial injury was then? So they said to me that, they said to me the fracture was in 2014, um, which was there. But they said that of an MRI scan, if you break your bone, if you break your ankle, you get a CT scan. CT scan, they test, they check bones. MRIs test like soft tissues and ligaments and tendons. So they can't really diagnose something off an MRI scan. And it wasn't their job to diagnose it because yeah. nation of, that was a big British boxing border control brain scan. And they're going off that. So they shouldn't have done that. And uh, I'm not saying I wasn't a fracture there, but as I've been in a boxing my entire life, 18 years I was a boxer for, uh, football before that, swimming before that. I'll have fractures in my body everywhere. Like, because as you do as an athlete, you get on the thing, you get on the stuff and you only stop when it stops you. So I'll have fractures everywhere. I maybe had a small fracture in my eye socket back then. It wasn't a problem. I took a punch and obviously in sparring. When, I, when my eyes started getting iffy, like September, August, September 2016, when I went to this hospital, they should have tested me for as I was then and maybe put me back a week later to see if it got any worse rather than going off a scan two years ago. And then, as I know now, any eye problem, you know, and there could be, and I didn't have to fight. I wasn't, I, I could have fought a month later, four months later. I wasn't, I didn't have to fight that that, that night. Um, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a 10 million pound fight. I had to take it. It was a small fight. It wasn't a big deal. I could have had that fight in, in the, that was in October. I could have fought in the March, didn't it? No. But they said, oh, no, it's not going to get any worse. Carry on boxing. Now, what I know now, if I wish, and when you're paying 500 pounds for, for, for half an hour appointment, a top doctor in central London, you expect to be told the right privately, you expect the right advice, you know. Um, unfortunately, I said to me, carry on boxing, and I should have been anywhere near boxing, boxing ring. So maybe I had an eye fracture like back in 2014, maybe I, don't, I can't read scans, I don't know. Um, but the, there was a punch recently which set the eye off badly. And mm. I maybe had a small fracture in there, but that last punch like tipped it over the edge. Mm. And the frustrating thing was had like almost all fractures are so easy to treat. They're so easy to treat. Um, and had I had my eye socket fixed then, I'd have carried on boxing, not a problem. But what killed me, two things, was my career, was the constant blows in the fight to an unprotected eye because the socket was, wasn't doing its job. And then after that, I had a surgery, which is very, very questionable. I shouldn't have really had that surgery because they operated on my eye. They didn't, they operated on my eye without testing me after the fight, um, which is unforgivable. And um, yeah, I, I ended up, and had the right thing been done then, I'd been back months later. 
but the wrong thing was done. I then had an injection in my eye, which, which further damaged the nerve. I ended up having nine surgeries on my eye over the course of three years to keep my boxing dream alive. I spent a hundred thousand pounds. And, you know, if you're, if you're on any Joshua money and you're a multimillionaire, hundred grand's not a lot, but my level where I was at, that was everything I'd ever saved from boxing. So all the 18 years of boxing, the 18 years of being a professional athlete, uh, an elite athlete, I was very sensible with my money. We had nothing growing up, as I mentioned earlier. So when I earned money, I put it away, put it away. I wasn't flash, didn't have anything that nice. Um, I always thought, when I'm a world champ, now I can treat myself. But my journey there is, I'm, I'm on a journey. And um, so I had all the money, I started, I remorged my house, I sold my half decent car. And um, yeah, all for surgery that didn't even work in the end to keep my dream alive. And it was very difficult and uh, you know, even talking about it now, a few years on, I still got upset because, you know, I should have been there. And again, the shoulda, woulda, coulda, like, I should have been there. And I'm not even, again, like I said earlier about the Joshua and Campbell and Nicola Adams, Cannon Smith, really, really, really good boxer. Top boxer. He was, up until a few weeks ago, the number weight, number one middleweight, super middleweight in the world. Earned millions of pounds, had all the belts, ring magazine belt. He was brilliant. On the Great Britain squad, he was my reserve boxer. He was my number two by like a considerable distance. It wasn't even there, oh, who do we send? A go Smith. I always, I went injured to competition rather than sending him. Um, that much better than him. And I know, and he's really, really good. And he's obviously got much better, but I'd have got much better also. And I should have been having those belts around my waist and the world champion. And, and I should have been the best middleweight we ever had in Britain, like I wanted to be. And unfortunately, no, I wasn't. And I, got to sit and watch people live out my dream whilst I'm, whilst my eyes are buggered, you know, and, and um, I'm basically blind on my left eye. You see my eyes obviously very droopy, you can see, um, that's because of nervous damage. So yeah, I mean, you know, I could see him play the violin until the cows come home, but as I mentioned earlier, like feeling sorry for oneself doesn't get you anything, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 do, I do get that and that is, admirable but there is righteous anger and you know it feels like you're pretty entitled to be pissed off with you know share of bad, share of bad luck so negligence potentially you know yeah, yeah. yeah. was um this is what i must be very very careful about mm. um I, I'm, I'm, I'm just stating facts so i can't i shouldn't really get in trouble for this but my career was ended not because because of a very questionable piece of advice and I had the top medical negligence law firm in the country take my case on no win no fee because my case was so like looking at my everything I've said is God's honest truth and it's worse I can't say the worst stuff and I can't name names because I'll get in trouble but my win of my case was cast on I was going to sue I could have carried on now this is like you know layman's terms I could have retired from I could have sued quit boxing sued for loads and loads of money and ended, I ended my career. Or I could have carried on boxing, had one fight, lost it because my eye was bad and sued for way less money because it didn't end my career. I came back. And I'd have mucked a million times over out a million. I'd have done a second one. I'd have rather, I just wanted to box. I didn't, I come from no money. I didn't have the I didn't, I wanted to box for the glory and the prestige and for my name to go down in history. The money could come and go. As it turned out, I had to retire um, after three years. 
nine surgeries, every penny ever spent. I, 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 and in those three years, I drove from my house in, in, in Essex to West London, Hammersmith, every day at the train. I train. I was training like I was fighting for the world title because that's how much it means to me. And I always thought I was going to get back. And unfortunately, obviously I didn't. But after three years of, of going through that, I had to retire. I, I sparred one, one day at the gym and I sparred this guy who was very, very limited. And then one minute he was there, next minute he was there and he'd whack me. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. And, and, and I thought, oh, maybe I can just, I'm so, I'm such a positive person. Or maybe I can, maybe I can train that. I did everything, every surgery, every, every, when I, people say they did everything, I did everything. Like nobody could say, oh, what about this? No, I didn't do it. Everything. Every vision therapy course you could do, every, um, on top of the nine surgeries. And then the next day, because the nerve was damaged, I got whacked in the eye. The next day, my eyes were totally shut. And then not just the eye shut, because the nerve is damaged, the left eye moves much slower. So when I'm looking at something, you can be here and then there, and I don't see you move, and you can whack me, and I don't see you hit me, and it's the punches that you get that you don't see. They're the ones that like like cause damage. And boxing's not a sport. If you're a, if you're a sprinter and you lose a little bit, lose a little bit of speed, then like and rather than running like nine point nine, you might you might run nine like ten point one. Rather than coming first, you might come third or fourth. You might come sixth. But in boxing, when you lose that small, and I lost way more than small, but when you lose a small percentage. You lose, you lose, and you get hit hard, and you get damaged, and you you physically take take pain and damage, you know, and it's dangerous. And um, so yeah, but the hardest thing for me was um, it was quite obvious that the wrong thing was done, and I ended up trying to sue, trying to sue for end of my career, and because of <laughs> because um, and I and I didn't win, I didn't win because uh, the boys' club got together and they wouldn't go against even though had. Had I saw had, had four surgeries in America, if you could get foreign ophthalmologists to come over and comment on what was done, I could go to any ophthalmologist in the, in, in the world and they'd say, "Well, that was the wrong thing." I've had people say to me, "Appointment." I've seen doctors in in America and around the world in India. I've had scrubs for people in India, in in Japan, and one man in particular, his doctor said to me, um, "What you need, young man, is a time machine." Because as soon as they did that to you, your career was done. So like pretty much like cut and dry. Um, but um, yeah, if, if if a foreign person could comment on what happened, they didn't know the doctors involved, then they'd have said yeah, wrong thing. And I'd have been awarded uh, a large sum of money to set me up for the rest of my life. But because it was um, got to be all under the same jurisdiction, um, they didn't want to go against you know their their colleagues and friends. And my case was over. It's as hard as a and as unfair as it was, but you know, I learned a long time ago. Life is very, very unfair sometimes. And um, and you know, I am a very positive person. And if I dwell on it, I will get pissed off and I will get very angry. However, I mean, it's, that's so rubbish. And as rubbish as it is, and I didn't get to fulfil my 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 talent and my ability. I think like my best mate died last year of cancer, and he was thirty years old. I mean, that's shit. You know, his mum, his sister lost their son and brother. That's proper shit. At least I'm still alive. At least I can see in my white eye, you know. At least, at least, at least I can still go and have a crack at something else and and try to make that money back elsewhere and and have fun elsewhere. And you know, whereas you know, loads of people out there, you know, kids, kids get some kids are born with cancer. 
that's just not fair. That's really not fair. So I try to have that outlook on. I listened to your I listened to your podcast earlier actually with with Mark Pollock. Mark Pollock. Yeah. And he, you know, and you'll know much better than me, but he was born basically blind. Then, like in his life, he fell out a window and and became paralyzed on the waist down. He's a blind man out there. He's a very talented athlete beforehand. A blind man out there, and he and he can't walk. That's proper shit, you know. So at least I can wake up every day and I can, I can go for a jog, and um, and I can see. So in the grand scheme of things, my mum's alive, and I've got a great family, and I've got an amazing wife, and really in life I'm winning. I'm, I'm doing well. It would have been nice to have a gold medal <laughs> or 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 a world title, but you know what? It is what it is, and it gives me that extra desire to go out there and do something else in my life. In the Pink and Bows want to support you in whatever way we can during these uncertain and constantly evolving times. So we're giving away more noise-cancelling headphones to bring some added calm to your life. To win the headphones, just tag in the three friends you're most looking forward to reconnecting with once lockdown is fully lifted. Always include the hashtag Bose, and those headphones could be yours. Good luck and stay connected. And talking of which, that's why you're in America. Well, I'm in tell America. Every, tell everyone what you're doing now. So I retired after three years and nine surgeries on my eye. I had to retire from boxing. I had an interview with BBC Sport on my retirement day. And Mike Costello, lovely, lovely guy, great journalist, said to me, mate, you're still a young man. Like, What's next? And I half joked and half just kind of like sprinkled some seeds. I said, I don't know. I've always liked professional wrestling. Might become a wrestler. And then, you know, literally three months later, I'm a professional wrestler for, for AEW in America, which is so much fun. It's really, it's, it's, it's great. I'm having so much fun over here. It really is good. Um, and I, I do feel like this as well. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to say, but it is very much the truth. Like, I'm, na- I'm now getting the chance to live out a second childhood dream because my first dream is to, to box for Great Britain in the Olympic Games. Actually, even before that, my first memory in life, first memory, full stop. I was two and a half years old. Linda Christie won the gold medal in Barcelona in 1982. My mom and my sisters were dancing in the front room, having a great time. I didn't really know what was going on. I was, I was three and a half. But I remember that moment like vividly. And I grew up and I wanted to do that. I wanted to box because I remember him with a Union, Union Jack above his head. And, and I got to do that in London, in my own country. And I got to win a medal, which is amazing. So my first... My first like dream ticked, and now I remember being a kid wanting to be like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and and become <laughs> a wrestler. I'm now doing that, which is unbelievable. And I'll do this for say I don't know maybe ten years, and then and then I'll I'll do something else. I, I don't know yet, but right now I'm in America, living life as a professional wrestler, having a great time. Oh, it's great to hear it. Um, but in layman's terms, how safe is it to be wrestling with you? With yeah. your I mean, they save a job, so I should probably become an accountant. <laughs> but I, um, I'm not bad at numbers. I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm quite stingy with my money. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not frivolous. I am frivolous. I'm very generous. Um, but yeah, listen. I mean, could my go wrong? Yeah, I could. It could, but I could also walk across the road tomorrow and get hit by a bus. Yeah. You know? And I'm not like circumstance and situations out of my control have taken away too many things in my life right now. I'm not going to let a what if take away anything else in my life. So I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And right now, 32 years old, 
I've got a good 10 years left of physical like activity left in me. I want to go and expel that, that, that desire that I've got in my, in my, in my body doing something that I love. And I, and I love wrestling. I love the, the showmanship. I love the physicality. I love the psychology. I love the entertainment value. It just ticks so many boxes for me. And for me, it's, it's, look, it's, it's not boxing. It's never going to be boxing. That was something that I mentioned earlier. It gives me something that nothing else can give me. But this, listen, it, it, it runs very close second. And on top of that, it gives me more, it gives me things that boxing couldn't give me. The razzmatazz, the entertainment, the showmanship, the, the fun, you know. Boxing is a great sport, but it's not fun that much. Not, not a lot of it's fun. A lot of it's hard. This is more fun, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next 10 years of my life, for sure. It's definitely got a feel-good factor to it, doesn't it? You know, and I bet there's a great sense of community as well. Huge sense, and, and I never had that. Like, even on the Great Britain squad, it's... So it, it's very competitive. Like, everyone wants to be a world champion. They earn more money. They own all the TV shows, all the magazines. They get all the dolls and then and the video games. So it's very everyone wants their number one spot, but you're working together to 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 and we we're, we're AEW, so all elite wrestling. It's a it's a new company. Um, we are on ITV in the UK, and we're doing we've been, we've been a thing for eighteen months. We're doing great things in in wrestling, but we're brand new. So we're all working together to elevate the company, which is really nice. I like that kind of community feel. Um, yeah, you, you work, yeah, it's great. It's, there's boxing on the Great Britain squad as a pro, like you always want to do the best. So even though you're not even like in the same weight category as, as, as your roommate, if he wins a gold and you win a silver, you're a bit pissed off, you know? So it's, it's really, it's, it's a different kind of mindset and, and it's, it's nice. And I've never had a real job and this isn't a real job. This is, this is fun. This is fun for me. But you see when like, and I'm sure you, I've never had this because as a boxer, you go to the gym to train for you. You sort of, sort of you, you, you driven. It's nice to be part of something which is bigger than just me. Like I'm trying to help grow AEW. I'm trying to help put us on the top. I'm trying to make us become the number one wrestling company in the world. So in 10 years time, when you think of wrestling, you think of AEW, you think of Anthony Gogo, you think of Cody Rhodes, Chris Jericho. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm striving for now. So it's not just for me, although I've got some things I want to tick off in my life. I'm doing this also for something which is even bigger than me, which I really um, means a lot. Yeah, I can see that. And also, you know, to be there at the start is cool because you can watch it grow in front of your eyes and, as you say, be part of something special. Obviously, everyone here at the moment, particularly in the UK, I mean, everyone in the world is affected by COVID, but particularly in this country right now with the third lockdown, a lot of people are struggling. Um, the stats are frightening today. And I know a lot of people listening to this will be massively inspired by your story and by your mindset and your honesty, because I think it's quite easy to sort of talk about how to cope in situations when when you're up against it and your back's against the wall. It's something very different to say, actually, I was pissed off. I was jealous. I was bitter. And I've come through that now. In terms of the mental health issues that a lot of people are facing at home right now, listening to this, uh, what advice would you give them? Um, I think, to be honest, just listening to this podcast is is very helpful for them. I hope it is because your story is incredible. Um, but is there any little pointers that you can give them on a day to day basis, or you know, or, or kind of grander level for their life as a whole? Yeah, no, thank you, Natalie. Um, well, I'm. Um... I'm a bit late for this call because I'm in the midst of kind of hopefully getting a documentary made about me and 
and I was really highlighting the, the mental health aspect of things and how low I was, and I was so low. And when this doc gets made, people will see just how down you know, I was and the depth that I did sink to. Um, and I used exercise as a way to kind of climb out, you know, and and like going back to the, the eye injury, like when I've had injuries in the past, I've done my shoulders, I've done my Achilles. And when you're sitting on the sofa watching telly, like in your shoulders, not you're not using your shoulder or your Achilles, you can forget, you can switch off, you can watch your TV and, and you forget about your leg for a little bit. When it's your eyes and your eyes are damaged, it's, it's all the time. Every waking second, there's a stark reminder that your eyes are not good and you probably can't fight again. Um, anyway, so yeah, I know, I know all about tough times. So firstly, I, I always say I'd never give up. I never, ever give up. I never gave up. I never gave up hope. I never gave up belief. I always thought something was going to happen. I always believed tomorrow was going to be a better day. Oftentimes they weren't. Um, oftentimes they were much, much worse days, but I'd never go. I'd always go to bed with that renewed enthusiasm thinking, oh, but the next day will be better. And eventually they get better and better. I never give up. And like people will feel like people, when they, people feel sad about certain things, it's okay. It's okay to feel sad. I guess it's okay to, to, to feel sad. It's, it's natural. The trick that I've learned over the years is acknowledge it and acknowledge the sadness, but don't wallow in it. Like when you wallow in that sadness, that's the recipe for just being living an unhappy life. Like I've got enough to wallow about and there's way more than I've said today, but I appreciate it. I acknowledge it and then I move on and leave it in the past. And someone said to me, it's like a baby sitting in a shitty nappy, you know, does a poo in a nappy and like wallowing in your self-pity, like a baby sitting in a shitty nappy, that's not good for them. You know, the quicker they get it off and get, and get a new one on, the better it is. And the same thing, the quicker you get rid of that feeling and crack on something else is a better thing. So yeah, I'm always trying to kind of like when I was really struggling, go out for walks each day. Everyone says like like nature's good for the soul. At, at first, I thought it was really boring, but um, but but I started to enjoy it. I leave my phone at home, go for a walk for half an hour. I actually really enjoyed it to the point where I look forward to doing that and being with my thoughts for a little bit and just thinking and and, and visualizing and and imagining nice things and you know. Um, so yeah, but just the main thing is for me, just dig in, just never give up. Always believe the next day will be a better day. And I genuinely never thought when boxing was so cruelly taken away from me, I sounds really like cheesy and cliche, but I never thought I'd be happy again, you know, because boxing was my identity. It was more than just what I did or passion or my job. It was me. I was always known as Anthony Gogo, the boxer. And I love that. I love walking into a room and being like, the hardest dude in there. I loved it. And it sounds really silly, but I did, oh, oh God, the, the this, the this. I, I, I loved, I loved that feeling that came a part of me. And when I, when it was taken away from me, like I, I felt like a part of me was taken away and I couldn't really be, ever be uh, properly happy again. And then madly enough, I'm actually getting more satisfaction doing what I do on a day to day basis now than I ever have. And it's, it's the weirdest thing. So things happen in a really weird way. I just never give up, never throw the towel in. Um, no, I don't want to get too deep, but people commit suicide all the time, and you always think like if they jump off a cliff or whatever they do, at that last moment before they hit the ground, but they were, but they think, oh fuck, I wish I could go, but I wish I didn't do that, you know. And and there's been so many stories, of people wanting to do it and did it wrong, and they messed up and they, they didn't die, and they're so thankful for that it went wrong, you know. There's never been anybody who's committed suicide successfully and gone, oh, I wish I didn't do that. 
because by then it's, it's too late. So never give up. I speak to people, friends, your family, and there's loads of people out there to speak to. I don't know all the health advice lines and stuff, but yeah, just just always believe tomorrow's going to be a better day and, and I'm sure it will. Mm, that's great. Thank you. Um, and also, I, w- I just wanted to get your view on the BLM movement and how that impacted you, if that sparked anything new, how you felt about it before. Because it, it, it did feel like the perfect storm. It felt like the kind of stars were aligned for something to really change mm. this year. Uh, sorry, last year now, 2020. Um, but it felt for the first time that people were ready to listen and ready to become enlightened and grow and progress. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered from you, from your experience, mixed heritage boy, like growing up in Lowestoft and, and coming through boxing. And you talked about it before, being able to vent through your sport. But um, how you reflect on everything that's happened this year or last year? Yeah, um, well, firstly, obviously, you know, the George Floyd um, situation was, was awful and there's been way more Breonna Taylor. <clears throat> um, I think you're right. It was very much lightning in a bottle and... Uh, one of my neighbours, a friend of mine, one of my really good friend, Kevin, 57 years old, very white, very middle class. Um, he, he he rang me up during uh, after lockdown. He said, do you want to come around for a cup of tea? So yeah, lovely. And I would have a cup of tea in the chin rag, some digestive biscuits. And he said to me, do you mind talking about the Black Lives Matter movement? I said, yeah, of course. And he was really sheepish. He didn't want to bring up. He said, Look, I, I just want to learn. I want to understand what it's all about. And we spoke for hours, hours. He had no idea because he's lived... And, and a very privileged life. He's never been put, he's been pulled over. One of the examples I gave was, I said to him, have you ever been pulled over in a car? He said, yeah, twice. So one time he said, uh, one time he went through a red light. Another time, so, you know, you didn't, you're going to get pulled over for that. Another time he didn't know where he was going and he was like, like looking, was he on his phone or looking, no, look back in the day, look at a map, look at a map driving and he was swerving, driving quite slow, swerving. Pulled him over, they thought he was pissed in the car. Pulled him over, they told him off with like looking at a map, an AA roadmap in the car. So you can pull over twice, um, and both reasons you you thoroughly deserved it. Yeah, yeah. And they said, ask me, I'm talking I when I was when I first got on the Great Britain team, I was on four hundred pounds a month. I was twenty one years old, four hundred pounds a month, and I and I saved all my money and I bought a, a little green, a racing, a British racing green MG convertible. It was a bag of shit, right? Rubbish. But it was my bag of shit. And it was, it was mine, right? And I was £1,200. I got, I got it from eBay. And then, um, and then I got that in June 2010, the World Cup. And I got pulled over in that nine times. And I got rid of it in the beginning of October. Nine times in three months, four months. Um, because I was a young mixed-race male driving around. And I don't even drive fast. Anybody, my wife says to me, put your foot down all the time. I never drive fast, never speed. I'm quite an old man when it comes behind the wheel. Just because I'm a young man, um, and I, I had another car, I, I, I sponsored the car. Um, before the Olympics, I got the BMW sponsorship. So I had BMW sponsorship car for two years, which is amazing. I got pulled over numerous times. One of them both said, how'd you afford this car? I was like, mate, you just like, and you know, it's that. And I, I explained to Kevin, like that, Yes, that's not that's not a copper kneeling on a man on a defenseless man's neck and killing him. That's not that. Of course, not that. And that's much better. What I experienced of being pulled over because I've got because I've got melanotone or my skin are dark. Given most people, some people, um, I drive a nice car. 
that's much better than obviously being like, you know, strangled to death. Of course it is. But that's still not right. That's still not fair. I can pull over, I can think of 10 times, well, more than 10 times I've been pulled over for no reason. So that is like institutional like, racism that isn't right. It's not fair, you know, and, and we, we spoke. So basically the point I'm making is in that situation is, um, yeah, you're right. I think it was lightning in a bottle last year. People were ready to talk about it. And he took it on his own back to, to educate himself by talking to me. Um, and it's great. And I think the more needs to be done. And people, some people get, some, people, some white people, my mum's white. I grew up in a white town. Like, I have very little to do with my dad. My, my dad's had very little to do with the black side of the family. So I'm bang in the middle. Like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm just, uh, people are just people. You know, like, and my sister's a lesbian. I mentioned earlier, like, I can care if you're gay, straight. Oh, God, I don't care. Like, people are just people. And people, the sooner, and that's so weird to me, the sooner people are judged by who they are. Because you can't choose your skin. I love my brown skin. I love it. I don't want to be dark or lighter. I like, I like my skin. And everyone should like their own skin. Well, my sister can choose her sexuality. That is that she can choose. She didn't wake up, didn't learn how to be gay. It's just, just it's what you are, right? But you can choose to be a dickhead. You can choose to be a nice person or not. So that's what you should be judged on, whether you're a dickhead or a nice person. Not on your skin, not on things you can't choose. People were born with, with one leg. They can't choose that. So don't be mean to them because of it. If they're a nobbit, if they're a nobbit, if they're rude, if they... If they if they cough and don't put their hand over their mouth, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, say that. But don't be mean to them because they've got one leg. They can't help that. And the quicker like the world become realize that, the better the life we're living really. And that's just it's, it's it's absurd to me. People look down upon people because they're different to them. Like they're the right way. No, uh, yeah. So so in short, the BLM movement means a lot to me. On my on my Instagram, when in the height of it, my Instagram. Every day, I was like doing like a little Black Lives Matter post where <clears throat> I'd go to like have you heard of Mary Seacole? Mary Seacole, yeah, she's known as the, the Black Florence Mon Nightingale. So during like Florence Nightingale's era, like Mary Seacole was doing the exact same thing. But you're one of the few people that knew about her. People don't know about Mary Seacole because in school you talk about which is great. Like Florence Nightingale, I'm not knocking her. She's the same thing with the Joshua and Luke Campbell thing. What she did was amazing. It was amazing, right? Also. <laughs> Mary Seacole was doing that as well. And, yep. and so many others were doing that. So I spent time in the summer by trying to enlighten people. Like I did a post one day of Britain's first black policeman. Like Britain's first black, you know, Britain's first black all the time. But just so people, no, I'm not saying the first white cop was bad. I'm saying that let's defer, Britain's first black, um, you know, Victoria Cross winner. You know, just, just, I was just trying to highlight people like black achievements because for so long, it hasn't been recognised, you know, as, as much as it should. And we live in a society now where back in, you know, back in, in the 1920s, like the English, my sister, my wife's an English teacher, uh, the, the English syllabus was all, like, dead white writers. And rightly so, possibly, because that's the population of the country back then. But now it's way more advanced, way more multicultural. Britain, there's loads of guys look like me, look like you, black people, Asian people, and they need to be represented because those little Asian boys and Asian girls and mixed race boys and girls, they need to see people like them to want to be like them rather than seeing black and, 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 and Asian people on crime watch and thinking that's my route. Hasn't got to be your route. Your route can be, uh, you know, uh, Rishi Sunak in, in, in the government, not necessarily, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, 
it's just common sense, really. I ain't, I ain't inventing the wheel. It's just common sense. Be nice to people and treat people the way you want to be treated, regardless of if they, if they have same-sex marriages or, or if they look different to you. It's just, it's just common sense. Amen to that. Brilliant. Listen, I could talk. We've been talking for an hour and 23 minutes. I think I could do another five. You're just a joy to talk to. Thank you. Thank, Thank you really for everything. It. And I can't wait to watch this documentary. When are we going to be able to see it? I'm not sure. It's in production at the moment. We've made we've made a killer sizzle tape. And if I say mm -hmm. so myself, it's really good. We're hoping, well, we're hoping, we're waiting for a, for a production company or a TV network to to, 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 to bite to, to bite the bait, really. And, yeah, it's going to be good because it's going to be one of those things like, like a bit like Rocky. See how Rocky, Rocky was the first sports movie to win an Oscar because it's way more than just a sports movie. It's life. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love story. It's, it's, it's experiencing. It's been an underdog. Now, my story is very similar. I didn't get the gold medal. In the movie. I didn't get the world title of the pro. Very small, very, the 0.01% people do that. My story is the story that you haven't got to be a boxing fan to appreciate it. It's a story of being written off coming back up at the Phoenix, getting him off again, and just and just going and going and going until you get what you want. And um, yeah, so hopefully, just keep your eye out for it. It'll be out um, soon. I, I'm sure it will. Listen, um, honestly, I can't thank you enough. And um, I feel like this is a story that continues to be written. It hasn't finished yet. There's a lot. There's a lot to come. A lot, lot more chapters in your uh, in your life story. Okay. But thank you so much for your time. And thank you for the platform to be able to, you know, to vent and, um, and uh, remember my former glories. Oh, there's more. There's more to come. There's more ahead than there is behind. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anthony, for your time, for your honesty and for opening up. As with all the guests on this podcast, there's a lot of trust involved and... Um, you know, they have to sort of take a bit of a leap of faith um, to talk about things that are probably quite hard to discuss. And also, I think it is strange doing podcasts over Zoom because, you know, that there's a sort of disconnect, isn't there? There's a lack of human contact, which we're all craving at the moment. So um, given all of the above, I thought Anthony was amazing at just revealing himself and talking so openly about his own feelings of bitterness and jealousy that he's recognised are actually pretty damaging to himself and to the others around him. So it's so important to process that and get over it and uh, make the best of his situation. And he is remarkable and I wish him all the very best with his future career. Thank you for listening. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you thought of the podcast with Anthony and all the ones that have come so far on this series of In The Pink. Plenty more on the way and more chances to win those Bose goodies. So all you have to do, remember, is uh, tag in a couple of mates, those that you really want to reconnect with once lockdown is over. Tell us who else you want to hear from on In The Pink and add the hashtag Bose. Until next time, friends, stay safe, stay connected. See you soon. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 